Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. If you're there at Nehemiah chapter 10, I'm reading from verse 28 uh, up to the end. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring people for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who, were ab- who are able to understand, all these now join the fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring people bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of the shekel each year for the service of the house of God. For the bread set on the table, for the regular grain offerings, the burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feast and the appointed festivals. For the holy offerings, for sin offering, to make atonement for for Israel and all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine with each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as, as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of our entire, every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and our herds and our flocks to the house of our God, uh, to the priests uh, ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storeroom of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offering, of the fruit of all the trees, and our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring wine and olive oil, and we will bring the tide of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tides in all towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tides, and the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tides up to the house of God, the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the storerooms, where the article for the sanctuary and for the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the musicians are also kept. We will not neglect the house of our God. Okay, the title, the message, uh, the, the title is Returning Back to God. Because in the previous chapters and in this chapter, chapter 10, we find there is a kind of revival in the hearts of people. They are coming back to God. They are coming back to the purposes of God. They're coming back to the, the law of, of God. Yeah, and so as you read this chapter with the grain offering, the olive oil, the cattle, the sheep, you wonder, what do you do with this? We don't bring that to church any longer. 
Even some communities, they do bring, you know, the, the grain offering. They come and bring in, in kind, they come. It still happens in some, uh, some nations of the world. But now we don't do that any longer. So what do we do then? So how do you interpret? How do you explain the word? You take the principles from the word of God. Because God's word, uh, the Bible says, it is profitable for instruction. It's profitable for teaching. Yeah, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some of the principles uh, in the Word of God. So the, there are two points I want to share with you today. One, the first one is making a godly choice in marriage. Making a godly choice in marriage. Okay. I read this on the, on the net. It says the number one cause of divorce is money matters. Even thank you for starting the course next one on financial freedom. It's all biblical based. Yep. The number one cause of divorce is money matters. Money touches everything. How you spend it, how you save it, how you give it away. People will play for money. People will gamble. People will do all sorts of People will even kill for money. Yeah, so money touches every area of our life. But there are other reasons for divorce as well. Yeah. Infidelity, when one partner cheats on the other. Constant nagging is one, yeah, which leads to breakdown in communication. Yeah. Abuse in the marriage, that's a sad thing, but it does happen. Let's face it. It does happen, abuse in the marriage. And those of you who come from Asia, you, you probably can identify with this. It says the extended family. Yeah, family is meant to be a blessing. Yeah, it's meant to be a blessing. That's what God said. But sometimes when the, the husband does not leave his family and then cleave to his wife, yeah, when there's no leaving at the biblical base, uh, then, you know, then his extended family also becomes his own family. And there's no godly influence and godly direction. It can create problems as well. Yeah. And so there are a number of reasons. The Bible is full of examples of godly marriage and an ungodly marriage as well. And so we want to look at it and see what is God's heart. Yeah? So before the people entered Israel, God had given them clear commands. It was specific uh, commands to the, to the people of Israel. For example, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 12 and up to verse 16, God said, be careful not to, to make a treaty with those who live in the land where you are going, or there will be a snare among you. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their asher poles. Do not worship any other god, for the Lord, who, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Be careful. Uh, not to make a treaty with those who live in the land. For when they prostitute themselves to their gods and sacrifice to them, they will invite you and to eat their sacrifice. And when you choose some of their daughters as wives for your sons and your daughters, prostitute themselves to their gods, they will lead you, to, uh, lead your sons to do the same. So what's the principle there? What is God saying there? God is not against marrying from other nationalities. That's not what God is saying. But there are the people of God who are the true worshippers of God and then marrying somebody who does not know God. And God's saying, if you do that, they will lead you astray. 
they will lead you astray. And time and time again, we find that it is happening in, in the Bible. So then, in Exodus chapter, in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse, verse 3, you find the, the similar thing happening over there. Deuteronomy, if you're there, turn with me. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 onwards. It says, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons and take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me or serving other gods. And uh, the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. This is what you have to do to them. Break down the altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down the asher poles and burn their idols in fire. For you are a people Holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth uh, to be his people, a uh, treasured possession. So God's saying you are a separate people. You are chosen. You, you are a treasured people. And God wanted them to be holy and set apart where there was a devotion to God. Yeah, and that's what God was saying. Continued again and again. And then it judges chapter 3 verse 6. It says... They took their daughters in marriage, gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. You see what happened? They kept on giving, intermingling. When God said, don't intermingle, they kept on intermingling with other nations. As a result, they started worshipping their gods. Yeah, today, I'll come to that. Today, people don't bring their gods with them. But they bring other things, which we will get to uh, a little later. And then, um, just one more. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 11, if you're there, you, you'll know where, I, where I'm going with this. 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1, from 1. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women, uh, beside Pharaoh's da daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, uh, Edomites, Sidonites, and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not in intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal blood. I don't know how he managed it, but that's what it says. He had 700 wives from royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. Solomon, a man of God, who's written the Bible, so, so much of the, of the word of God, written some of the Proverbs, the Psalms. Yeah, the, uh, he's written the word. And yet, Solomon himself, in the, towards the end of his life, turned away. Yeah, in, intermarried. And as a result, what happened? The wives, what did they do? They bring their idols with them. They brought their gods with them. Solomon then turned away from the living God and started to worship the idols. And the, because as you read later on, it said he built altars for his wives. And they started worshipping and Solomon also started worshipping. So this is a warning for us. God is teaching us. Like I said, the Bible is there for our instruction. It's profitable for teaching, for instruction, for reproof. Yeah? Today, people, I said, don't bring their idols with them. But they certainly bring their values, they bring their culture, and sometimes they bring their extended family as well, which can be a problem. Can be a problem. If there's no proper leaving and cleaving, then it can pose a problem. Because you know, when we got married, 
31 years ago, my mom came to stay with us. In, in our family, we have five boys, three girls. For us back in, in, in India, the sun is in everything. I don't know, I think in Africa as well. The sun is everything. He is my son. The daughters, yeah, they're going to get married and go away. Yeah, but the son, he's my son, and they'll always be my son. You know, and then my mom came a few years. I mean, normally we would say, when you get married, go away, stay for at least a year before family come to stay. But due to the circumstance, I think within a year she came to stay. A godly woman she was. She knew when she came to stay in the house, she knew the house belonged to Pixie. That Pixie was the one who owns, owns the house. And my mom did not call the shots. She did not say what to do, when to do it, what to cook, or you know, how to rearrange the house. She didn't do it at all. And we just thank God for the, that. Yeah, that's why I said some extended family when they come and there was no leaving and cleaving, they cause all sorts of problems. Yeah, we need to handle it in God's, God's, God's way. What happens then when, when one person is a Christian and another? When now I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking as a father to the children, yeah, to the young people who are planning to get married. I'm speaking to you as a father uh, to children. But I'm also speaking to parents as well, because, you know, as your child grows up and is come age to marry, you know, you're wondering, who will he choose or who will she choose? Will he get the right person? Get married quick. Can I tell you, be patient. Wait and trust God. Yeah? So, so what happens when one person is a Christian and, and the other one is not? What happens when, when it comes to, the, because you're sooner or later going to face these decisions. You're sooner or later how do you lead the family in, in the things of God, in religion? How do you, somebody's got to lead, right? How do you lead? Or when it comes to finances, money matters. Who's going to make the decision? If most marriages break up due to money, and I've, and I've seen this over the, over the years where couples fight over money. I've seen it happen many times. So who's going to take the decision? How are you going to counsel them? Because one is Christian, one is not. One is willing to listen, the other one is not willing to listen. They, they, so it will have an impact on marriage. Here's another key. In Genesis chapter 24, verse 1 to 8, Abraham, even in his old age, Abraham, yeah, you turn with me to Genesis chapter 24, verse, verse 1. It says, Abraham was now very old. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. He had financial freedom. God had blessed him. He had everything, the wealth, he had everything. And now he's old. But he, need, he wants a, a bride for his, his son, Isaac. What was he going to do? He had everything. Yeah, the wealth, everything the city could offer, he had, he had it. So, what does he do? He said to his senior servant in the household, the one in charge and to uh, charge of all he had put your hand under my thigh I want you to swear by the Lord the God of heaven, the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanite woman among who I am living but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. So even in his old age he wanted 
a godly woman for his son. Yeah? And then the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back. There, Abraham said, the Lord God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. You see the faith in God? The faith in God that he knew God will send his angel before him to prepare and, and you know, the right girl for his son. The servant said, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from the oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So it's one part, but you'll be amazed at the servant, his faith as well. Verse, verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning the matter. Then the servant left, taking with him, okay, it says he took the camels, gold and everything that he, he, he had with him. Verse 12, then he prayed, Lord God of my master Abraham, make me successful today and show kindness to your master Abraham. See, I am standing by the well and then you know the story. So even the servant trusted that God would provide the right bride for Isaac. Yeah? So my, my message to you is trust God. And I've seen this also happen when people trust and wait on God. God does send the right person. Do not be in a hurry. Do not be in a hurry. Because I've seen the other way as, as well in my own extended family. When decisions are made, and then it can be a heartache. But not only heartache, it can be hell on earth as well. Because you're just waiting for change. You're waiting, waiting, waiting. Somebody say, well, I'll, yeah, I'm, I love God. My husband or the wife doesn't love but I'll get married and then they will come to Christ. If they come soon, praise God and thank God for it. But sometimes it can take years and years and years. And that's what can be pain painful. So what can, so to young people, wait on God and seek God. Ask God to provide the right partner. To parents, pray and wait on God. Here's an interesting uh, uh, story. One father, he had four daughters and he prayed for his four daughters. But then he extended his prayer to pray that they will marry godly partners. And he prayed this, I don't know, for years and years. The four girls married four pastors. Okay? They had children. Their children, again, married Christians and pastors and whatnot. I think it went up to four generations. The next generation came. The fourth generation came among this family. One son went to theolog theological college. The other, from the other family, this son did not study theology. He studied psychology. But they went to the same college. Okay? The one who studied uh, psychology, his, I mean, his radio show was heard by millions in the US. Some of you probably figured out who it is. Yeah? Audrey is nodding. She knows who it is. His, his TV programs was watched by millions in the US and other parts of the world as well. His books were written and published in different countries. He was the White House Counselor on Home Affairs 
for two terms. His name is James Dobson. Yeah, James Dobson, a powerful influence in the Christian community in the U.S. and and the world. You see, the the great great grandparent who was praying that God would bring godly partners and parents. You can do that as well. Pray for your children. Pray that godly yeah, because God wants to godly families. God wants and why why, why is it? God wants godly families. Godly children that reflect the glory of God as we model love and commitment to one another, to the family, to the church, but also to the world as well. Yeah, because we are reflecting something of the very heart and very character of God. Yeah. This is an interesting story that happened, I believe, in New Frontiers in one of the churches in the UK. It it happened. I heard the story from one of the, the preachers who had come. The lady, she was a Christian, the husband was not. And uh, she would invite him to church, he would not come. He would invite her to the horse races, she would not go. She came to the leaders of the church and she said, look, my husband doesn't come to church and blah, blah, blah. And you know, and so they, they very wisely told him, told her, well, if next time they, she invites you to the horse races, please go. She was furious. She said, horse races, they gamble over there. I don't want to go. But next Sunday uh, came and she was all dressed up for the horse races. You know, with, you know how they with that large hat. on. The husband was shocked because every time she, he invites, she wouldn't go. The husband was shocked that the wife is now willing to come with her to the horse races. She went, they did enjoy them, their time together at the horse race. But ultimately, he was then willing to come to church. He, kept, he came to church, kept coming, and he got saved as well. So here's the thing. The book of Peter says, the book of Peter says, he says, live in such a way, live in such a way that, you know, by your lifestyle, that even the, the others, they, they see you and they glorify God. Live in such a way among the ungodly. Yeah, that means by our lifestyle, when we live a godly life, a partner is not yet saved, they then accept Christ when the day comes, the, the time comes. Yeah? Which leads me to my, my uh, the second point, giving. Because here it talks about marriage, the people who are getting married here, and then they realized that they had made wrong choices. Yeah, they, they said, yeah, we're willing to change. But what does the uh, uh, New Testament say? It says, if you've been married, you stay in the marriage. You stay. And you need to live a godly life. You stay in the marriage. Yeah? The second point is giving. Because they, they said, yeah, we will start giving. I think they stopped giving. But now they said, we will start giving again. We'll give the, 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 the cattle and the rice and the olive and everything. So what does it speak to us? It speaks to us as well as something. Recently, I met a, I was in a taxi, an interesting conversation with a taxi driver. He asked me if I'm born again. I said, yes, I'm born again. Uh, he asked me if I'm a Christian. I said, yes, I am a Christian. He wanted to know what. And I said, I'm a born again. He had a joke with it because he said, are you born again or born again? I said, no, I'm born again. So he, he found it interesting. He thought it was, it's just a feeling. And so... You know, you, you can't get into a dialogue with the preacher, right, Cammy? So I, t- I told him about John chapter 4, how do you interpret it, and what does it mean to be born again? Told him about sin and death and everything. 
And I think then he tried to change the topic. Yeah, that's what they do. He quickly changed the topic and he said, you know, this 10%, church is asking for 10%. I don't like this, he said. You know why they always ask for 10%? So I, I had to tell him, look, this is the reason why God gave the, the, the tithe, the principle of the tithing. This is the reason I said, and then he kept on going about the 10%. So I said, look, God doesn't need your money, I said. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has everything. It is he who gives you strength to earn that as well. But that's the reason why he asks you to give. Because when you give, you're saying, God, I am trusting in you. I'm trusting the God, you are my provider. You have given me the health. You have given me strength to earn and to produce wealth. Therefore, I'm giving back, back to you. Okay, so in fact, when the Bible talks in the Old Testament about 10%, 10% was the minimum. They gave much more than 10, 10% if you read. Because there were so many offerings throughout the year. There was the tithe, but there were other offerings during the year. And so if you add that all up, it's much, much more than 10%. Okay, so what does the Bible in the New Testament then tell? Because it doesn't mention anything about uh, a 10%, but it's grace giving. Okay, grace giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you're there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7. And now, brothers and sisters, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You say, wow, their Extreme poverty welled up in, in rich, yeah, in, uh, in, their, in their generosity. True. You, you find this in many, many churches, many places you go. Even they don't have, they are willing to bless. They are willing to give. And that's exactly what this church, church was do, doing. It says, for I can testify they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability. Entirely on their own. Nobody forced them. They gave willingly. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the servants to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to God. That's what they did. They gave themselves to the purposes of God. And, and then by the will of God also to us. What a beautiful verse. They gave themselves to God. God, we are yours. We are sold out for you, for your purposes. But then they, they gave as well. Why? To advance the kingdom. To advance the kingdom. That's, that's why they gave. So we urge Titus, just as we had earlier made, to, to, uh, a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Yeah? So it is a grace, it's a grace gift. And, and finally, if you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and again, that will give you the principle of this grace giving. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to, to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also Reap generously. Each one should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
And here, here's the, the important verse to hold on to. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's, that's the principle behind the, behind the giving. What he's saying is God, God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless abundantly more than you can even ask or imagine. You know, when we, when we were in the Philippines at the last conference, the last on the Sunday, so when it came time to giving, I was in two minds, how much to give? Should I give the lesser denomination? Should I give the bigger denomination? If I give that, you know, when you, you go on holiday, and if you're like me, we always budget. Well, you, you might overspend, and then you don't have money then to travel, to travel or thing. So always budget. Yeah, per day. This is our expense for, for food and for shopping or anything. And that's what we take and we go with us. So if anything is lost, it's only that day's money is gone. So we went for the conference and then money in the pocket came time to give him in two months. The smaller denomination, the bigger, which one? I said, I'll trust God. I've seen the faithfulness of God many times. I will trust God. I gave the bigger denomination. And I gave. Well, nothing happened that day. I was not expecting anything, but later on, later on, somebody came to us and blessed us with five times more than what we had given. Five times more. We were not expecting it. We never expected it. But you see, the faithfulness and the goodness of God. And I've seen this time and time again. When we have given out of our poverty, we have less. We just gave. Bless the other person. We just give it. And then God somehow, somewhere, God puts in the heart of somebody else and they come by and bless. I've seen it many, many times. And that's why I tell people, I said, where money is concerned, I'm not really worried about money. Yeah? Because I've seen the faithfulness and goodness of God. The, the servant, uh, Abraham's servant, when he went to look for a bride, what did he say? God, will you show kindness and goodness to my, to my master, Abraham? The kindness and the goodness. And we have seen it. The kindness and the goodness yeah, of, of God. So church, can I tell you, trust God. Whether it's coming to marriage, whether it's coming to finances, trust God and God will be faithful. He will be faithful in every circumstance of life. Can I ask the worship band to come back? Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church.